Well, today we get into application, and it's uh, uh, about time. We've done a few weeks now of interpretation. So, um, and I know, Miss Mary, you're saying it's a little bit intimidating, but practice, 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 and and don't let it intimidate you because, um, you know, then then you just kind of never use it, you know. And that's, that's definitely not, and that's kind of how I want to start this class is just to remind us, I think we can go two different directions. One is we can get intimidated from all this, and we can say, well, this is just too much, or this is, you know, all this Greek stuff, you know, but we need to remind ourselves, we don't have to know Greek, and there's so many tools available to us today that can help us with Greek words, and so don't let yourself get intimidated and back down from putting in the work. It is hard work, but don't be intimidated. And, that, and then that, the other side of that is, though, is, you know, some people will uh, tend to do the work and then they get puffed up, you know, because they think they know something, you know. And so then you're coming at people with this, you know, this attitude. Um, man, the word that's popping in my head is hoity-toity, but that's not the word. That's probably not the one. You know, you don't want to be a hoity-toity Christian, you know, like I'm better than you, a snob. You don't want to be that way, an arrogant kind of a Christian either, you know. So, um, was that an English term? I don't know, but I don't know where that came from. But, but we don't want to be puffed up, is what I'm saying. You know, like the church in Corinth was, they had knowledge, but they were using their knowledge to the detriment of other believers. And that's definitely not how we want to be. And we don't want to put a stumbling block or an obstacle between people that are coming to know the Lord either. Um, so... All of this should help you just know Jesus more and then, um, you know, live for him. You know, how it should change our lives. It should transform our lives. So all that being said, today we're, we're looking at application. And application asks that question, how should I respond? How does this apply to me? That's what application is asking. How do I uh, take what I'm learning here in the Bible and then apply that to my life. And one of the great things about the Bible, guys, is the Bible is God's treasure chest for you. It's his treasure chest for you. If you think about that, you know, anybody that's ever done any mining, anybody that's ever done any, um, you know, panning for gold or anything like that, it takes some work. It takes some time. But you put the time in and it's worth it. Because you come away with some spiritual truth gems, okay? You come away with some spiritual life-changing nuggets from the Word of God, but you got to dig for them. You got to, you kind of got to sift through the sand. You've got to kind of do the work of interpretation. But once you do that and you get to that interpretation, man, oh man, it becomes a just a plethora of beautiful applications. For your life. Remember, we talked about that. There's really uh, only one correct interpretation, but there's going to be many applications in our everyday lives. And that's why inductive Bible study is so important, you guys. Um, you want to get to the application part of it. And that's where God wants us to, to you know, let the rubber meet the road, so to speak. That's where we get traction, is in the application part. Um, for those of you that are in the pastoral ministry class, you know, this is something to remember is that when you're preparing to teach others, you really want to have the, some good, clear application. That's where you want to um, spend the majority of your time talking about or getting to in your messages. Yeah, you want to explain the doctrine, 
Um, you want to explain the, the correct interpretation. But once you've done that, you want to paint how it is to be applied in people's lives. And this is really difficult to do if you've ever uh, you know, shared a Bible study with somebody or um, taught a Bible study. A lot of times, you know, and I struggle with this too, I struggle with laying out all the information. I like the information. I'm that kind of a guy. But then the application is where I really need to be spending time. And that's where a lot of Bible say teachers have difficulty. Others don't, but, but a lot of them do. And um, I want to mention it, it can take you, you know, a good few years of doing inductive Bible study before you become proficient in your skills of observing in your skills of interpreting, and in your skills of applying the biblical text. It can take years, but listen, it is worth the work. If you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to not give up and to just be tenacious about it, the rewards are going to be well worth it in your life, okay? So I encourage you to do that. Look at, look at the gold, look at the dimes, look at the gems. That's what you're going to be getting to on a regular basis if you're willing to put the work in. All right. Um, application is the most important steps, and it asks the question, several questions. But first of all, we want to ask the question: You know, are there examples to follow in the text? So let's look at Luke seventeen and verse ten. It says so. Likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, "We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do." Can anybody kind of? looking at that verse, pull out an example that we can follow. Remember, this is not interpretation. This is application. So there can be some different applications here. But, but there's a specific example in this verse that we can pull out. Anybody want to take a crack at it? Unprofitable servants. Unprofitable servants. Okay, what does that mean to be an unprofitable servant, though? What? The value to somebody else. Okay. So, but I, so what, how about the way that they're saying that? What, what's an example in that? So they've just, they've just done all these things that they were commanded, but then they say, you know, we're just unprofitable servants. Jesus is saying that we need to have that kind of an attitude. So, so the example here then is to be a person who goes above and beyond what's normally expected, right? It's to be a person who's going, you're, yeah, you've already done everything that you've been asked to do, but you're, you're willing to go further than that. You're willing to do even more. And when somebody gives you a compliment, you're like, oh, man, hey, I'm not doing anything special here. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm just an unprofitable servant. I've, I'm only just doing what my duty is. You know, that's the idea is this example of someone who goes above and goes beyond what they're, what they're expected to do. And, and, and the reason for that would be love, you know. Your motivation is love. You're so blessed by what Jesus has done in your life. You're willing to go above and beyond. And, and man, you're just like, man, I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm just doing my duty here. There's nothing special happening. So that's a question that we can be asking ourselves. And, and, and um, you know, I want you to take these outlines and um, use them in your daily devotions, you know, in your daily Bible reading. After you've read through a passage, don't, don't take a real big passage at first. Just start with maybe one verse, like what we just did right here. And just ask yourself, you know, out of your Bible reading, take one verse and say, okay, is there an example in this verse for me to follow? And you could write that down. This is how I do my journaling. I'll write down, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me about this. You're giving me an example here to follow. I want to be this person that goes above and beyond. Two, are there sins to forsake? 
Are there sins to forsake? So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now you remember we looked at these verses when we were doing interpretation. And this is hyperbole. It's a figure of speech. Jesus is really, in a dramatic way, he's exaggerating um, the action here because he's trying to make a point. The point is to cut off the sources of sin in our lives. But when we're looking for an application here, a lot of people would say, well, this applies to adultery. Well, yes, that's obvious. That's the obvious application. Jesus speaking in verse 27 and 20, he's speaking about adultery. But uh, another application people will make, if, if you do your interpretation, you'll see the word adultery is pornea. And so they'll say, oh, it's talking about pornography here, you know, but, but being creative, we can go beyond just pornography. Pornography is something that we experience in today's culture in America, right? But if we're going to be creative, we could say, look, it's not just pornography. This is even bigger. This is lust. He's talking about lust here. That's the root of pornography. That's the root of adultery. Okay? So someone could be delivered from pornography, but if they haven't dealt with the root issue, which is a bondage to lust, then, then it doesn't matter that you've been delivered from pornography because you're still going to be sinning in your mind and in your heart when you look at you know, a, a, a woman in this case, or it could be vice versa, a woman and a man. So this is, this is the issue here. The sin to avoid then is lust. And that's what we can pull out of that as an application. Um, three, are there errors to avoid? Errors to avoid. And we read there in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in verse 22, the word says, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Who wants to take a crack at this one? What's the error to avoid in this, in this passage? Knowing what to do and not doing it. Okay, knowing to do right and you're not doing that. And you, that's, a, that's a great application, Relda. Somebody want to uh, add to that or, or uh, give it a different wording, perhaps? Yes, Nick. Uh, for not to just assume that because of sin, we can be forgiven through atonement of sorts. That would be so bad to say forgiveness. Okay. It's about doing what is right. Right. Eating his word rather than uh, leaning on the forgiveness of it. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are hitting on it. You, you're right on it. It's, you know, God is, this is teaching us that God would rather have us do the right thing than to hear us say that we're sorry. And how many of us do that? You know, it's like, I say I'm sorry over and over and over again about the same things. Well, what am I doing to actually avoid that error in my life? Saul, that's what Saul was doing here. Saul was just rebellious in his heart towards the Lord. But he's just like, I'll just say I'm sorry and we'll just make it all better and move on. 
But, but God comes to him with this message like, hey, I'd rather have you walk in obedience to my commands than to have you, um, you know, just going through the motions here. You know, some of the motions that we go through could be attending or tithing regularly at church, going through the motions of Bible reading every day. You know, sometimes that can be a rut for us as Christians. We just go through the motions or we throw our prayers out, you know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. You know, it's just a ritual for us. It's no meaning. And, and so, and then we go around and we live like a heathen. <laughs> and God's like, oh, hey, re- instead of praying, why don't you just, you know, dedicate yourself to memorizing and meditating on a verse that's going to change your life in that area and, and change the way you're living, you know? So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a strong application there, errors to avoid. People living like they don't know God during the week, going to church on Sundays, trying to get right. God doesn't want us to live like that as Christians. He wants us to be real with Him at all times. All right, are there promises to believe? Number four, are there promises to believe? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. So in this verse, we've got this promise of truth for every single human being ever. And that is that, you know, all the riches, all the wine, all the women, all the life experiences of the world will end up leaving you empty in the end. There's only one purpose in life. That's knowing and fearing the Lord and obeying and walking in a relationship with him. That's the only thing that's going to fulfill you. It's the only thing that gives you purpose in life. That's a promise for everybody. That's an absolute truth. It's true for every person in every place and every time. You can bank on it. All right. How about are there commands to obey? Number five. Are there commands to obey? Can I get a volunteer to read Luke 6, 46 through 49? Go ahead, bud. Thank you. Okay, so this is, there's not anything that's uh, necessarily directly a command here, but can you pull the command out of this? Can, can anybody see it in here? What's, what's the command for us or the application of, the, of, of obeying Jesus here in this passage? What you're building your faith on. Yeah, what yeah. What you're really trusting in. Yeah, what are you building your life and putting your faith in? Yeah, yeah. So this is how to build your life on the rock that lasts, you know. The application is to take God's truth, apply it to real life, how you live at home, how you work, how you know, where you do school, what sports you're playing in, how you eat out, you know, what are you eating? <laughs> All of those things. When you go to the doctor, everything, you know, we're to build our lives on this foundation, which is God's truth. And that's that's the that's the command there. That's it's not a direct command, but it's in that passage, isn't it? All right. Number six, are there actions to take? Are there actions to take? And we've got the great commission here. 
And so tell me some of the actions in the Great Commission, guys. Actions are verbs. Go. Go, yes, that's the first one. Make. Make, yep. Baptizing. Yep. Teaching. And teaching. All right, four, four things, four actions at least there that we need to be taking as Christians. We need to be going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching. Those are, those are commands from the Lord and those are actions that we're all to take. So, you know, you always hear people talking about, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, right? I, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't exclude you from the Great Commission that you're to be involved somehow in the, the Lord's kingdom work in advancing that kingdom. Now, you may not be able, you may not be gifted in, you know, say street evangelism or preaching or that kind of stuff, but, but there's, way, there's other ways to contribute. There's plenty of ways to do that. Um, your life, number one, you know, speaking with your life, the way that you live your life, uh, y- utilizing com- the opportunity for conversation with somebody at your workplace uh, as you get to talk to them and explain why you don't do the things that they do, you know, and partake in those things. Just a simple conversation is a way that you are witnessing to people around you, you know. So it's not like you have to stand on the street with a bunch of tracks and a sign on your chest, you know, to be part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is just the simple, everyday things of letting people see your life and see that you're different and, and what you believe in. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes it is, though. Some, you know, it might be for some people that they're out there with a sign on their chest and some tracks in their hand and they're preaching the gospel. You know, I just read about that uh, recently. There's a guy in, um, I can't remember what it was. It was at, at Ohio State, the Ohio State football game on their campus. He was standing outside the stadium <laughs> preaching the gospel with a bullhorn, you know. And, you know, we, some people look at that and they go, oh, come on, you know. But, but I think the Lord can use something like that, you know. Yeah, it bothers people. Yeah, it makes some people mad. But at the same time, uh, you know, who's to say that somebody doesn't think about that message later on that night? You know, the Lord doesn't use that in their own life to convict them. You know, I, I'm not sure, but I, I think that uh, you've got to be obedient to, to uh, the way the Lord wants to use you. And you've, he's not going to override your personality. He's going to utilize your personality. So some people have a personality where they could stand there with a bullhorn and that's, that's them. But uh, maybe somebody else, you know, you're just, you show up to work five minutes early every day and you've got a good attitude and you know you're willing to uh fill in for coworkers when they need help and things like that people are just looking at me what's up with you man like what's your thing you know why you like this you know hey i just love the lord man you know or you know i'll just hear i'm a team player i'm here to help you guys out you know and they're they're looking at you and then you know when they got problems they come and find you and ask you hey what's different about you so we're going, we're making disciples and baptizing and teaching. And, uh, you know, well, I'll say this. Baptizing is something that, uh, you know, Jesus commands all believers to do. Some people think, I can never do that, you know. It's got to be done at church. It has to be a pastor that does that, you know. Hey, that's not what the Bible's telling us right here, you know. So, you know, if you ever find yourself in that situation, and, you know, like the Ethiopian and uh, Philip, he's like, Hey, well, there's some water right there. What's to prevent me from getting baptized? Nothing. Let's do it, you know? We'll be open to that as Christians. I think we need to be. Um, if, we, if we had to do everything at church, well, man, what if that person passed away before they got to hear the gospel or something like that, you know? It'd be really tragedy. Or if, uh, you know, we never baptized anybody. You know, I've, I've had situations where people are too sick to come to church. 
So we go to them. We baptize them in their house. You know, we do whatever we have to do. Even if I have to sprinkle them, I don't care. I'm not. I don't. It doesn't have to be one particular way. You know. Now I believe it's immersion, but in a case where somebody's sick and they can't be immersed, hey, I'll sprinkle them. You know. And that's the heart is is behind that. Is look, we just need to be doing what the Word of God tells us. That's application. Um, number seven. Does this teach me anything about God's nature or character? God's nature or character. <clears throat> Hebrews 5.8 tells us, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So here's a verse that's telling us that Jesus Christ learned something. He learned obedience. And he learned it through things that he suffered. So how can Jesus who was and is God, learn obedience. Does this mean that Jesus passed from disobedience to obedience? That's our experience, right? That's what we might project if we were to interpret the scripture with our experience. But that's not what this is saying. This is telling us that Jesus learned what was involved in obedience. He couldn't have ever learned that in heaven. So he came down as a man and he experienced it firsthand he stepped into our shoes, so to speak. He became a man. And then as he suffered, he learned how to obey the Lord. Remember the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And, and, and that's a deep prayer when you start to study it. And you start to realize what it means that Jesus there in the flesh was wrestling with sin nature and fear and anxiety and all these things. And yet he never sinned. He never gave in to those things. He surrendered. He submitted to the Lord. And he learned obedience through that suffering experience. And what does that tell us? Well, the application is that, hey, man, if, if Jesus learned obedience through suffering, then, then he's fully able to understand what I'm going through. When I'm tempted with sin, when I sin and fall, Jesus never did, but, but he knows the struggle. And he can identify with us. He's able to fully understand because he too had to learn obedience through his own suffering experience. And so that's a, that's a neat concept. You learn a lot about God um, in, in the scriptures and that's application. Application leads us into a closer relationship with the Lord. All right, B. This is, the, this is the most important area to excel in is your application. Remember we talked about this? Especially if you're going to be sharing a Bible study with somebody else. You, you want about 20% of your study, 20-25-30% maybe, to be um, explanation or interpretation. But then you want about you know, a good 60-80% to 80 of that study to be focused on application. How can we apply this in our lives? So James 1, 22-25 says... But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So application is all about learning to be a doer of the word of God. And this is really where the blessing is at, guys. Too many Christians, we live in the realm of we know what's right, but we practice something different. 
Okay, and so application takes us from knowing what's right and practicing something different to knowing what's right and practicing what's right. Okay, we apply the word of God in our own life personally first. Um, and that's the next point there is it's hard to teach application if you aren't doing it yourself. Okay, it's hard to teach application if you aren't living it out yourself. Um, I think you guys understand this struggle. I, I know that I do. I understand the struggle. Uh, I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. Uh, you should hear me. And, and you should see what happens in my home as I speak to my wife in a grumpy voice or if, as I discipline my children in anger like I talked about today. I tell you what, man, it's convicting to be a pastor because I know the standard, but sometimes I'm not applying it in my own life. And, and, then, and then it's hard for me to stand up in front of a church when I've failed and to teach a church, you know, a biblical passage. So I, I pray for grace all the time. I pray that God's messages that I preach would be a means of his grace in my own life. And, and I often plead for prayer from you guys as well. Whenever somebody asks me, how can we pray for you, pastor? I always say, hey, pray for my personal relationship with the Lord. That's my number one prayer request. I want you guys to pray for my walk and my life with the Lord. And same thing for you guys, you know. Our, our, our lives need to reflect what we are taking in. We need to apply it. Um, we can get caught up in and presenting a facade to people, you know, this religious guy, a religious woman, you know, I'm holy, I'm righteous, uh, I, I'm right all the time, I, you know, and, and that's, that's, a, um, that's a trap, okay, it's a trap. We need, to, um, we need to run away from that, we need to run towards authentic, real Christianity, okay, and authentic, real Christianity just means that we're doing our best to live out what we're learning, we're trying to apply it, not going to be perfect, but we're striving. We never stop heading in that direction, right? We never stop pursuing that godly character. Um, you know, and, and when we make a mistake, we admit it when, and, and we confess and we get back on track. Um, Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinance in Israel. Notice the order there. First, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Then he did it himself, and then he taught those statutes and ordinances. So a Bible study is always going to be much more meaningful when you're speaking from a heart that has spent time applying that in your own life, okay? Um, and some of that just comes with life experience. You can't, you can't know everything when you're starting out and stuff. Um, you know, it's funny. I'll look back on some of the Bible studies I first taught when I was a young guy about Christian's age or so. And, uh, you know, it just makes me laugh, you know, uh, because some of it is just pure uh, fleshly nature just coming out in my Bible study, you know. And it's because, I, I, you know, I was just doing the best I knew how to do at that point in my life, you know. And, and I'm, not, uh, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes the Lord has to grow us through time, through experiences, through things we go through. And, and that's those that those are the, usually the most passionate Bible studies that we teach is what we've lived first. D, don't skip the first two steps of observation and interpretation in order to jump into the application, okay? Why do we need to spend time on it? Well, um, observation is going to get your facts straight. It's going to help you get all your facts straight and lined up about context and all of those sorts of things. Interpretation is going to give you the grammatical, the literal 
the historical context and it's going to get you to the correct interpretation. And, and if you don't do that work, then you're not going to be correctly applying the text in people's lives. How about Matthew 18, 20? I hear this all the time. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Okay, I've even used this. I've even said this, like trying to comfort people. Hey, man, where two or more are gathered, we know Jesus is with us, you know? And I'm saying that. But if you study that verse in the context, it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ's presence being uh, around just in a general way with Christians. He's talking about in the context of church discipline in that chapter, that when the church leadership meets and they are applying a decision in the life of somebody who's a believer in their fellowship, that Jesus is there with them and he's helping them come to the correct decision and the correct discipline in the church. And so it's a very important uh, uh, passage within its context. Now, we know that Jesus is always with us. <laughs> whether there's two of us or one of us, Jesus lives in my heart. So whether I'm the only guy here or not, I can be encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit indwells me. All right, E, always personalize application first. So a lot of times uh, when I'm teaching a Bible study, I'll have folks come up and say, oh, I can't wait to share this with so-and-so, you know? And I'm always thinking, oh, man, I, I hope that you put it to practice in your own life first, you know? I, I don't always say that, but that's what I think, and, and that's definitely what I, I know I need to do. I know that I need to do. You know, I, I, I think our human nature is we, we study a passage, we go, oh, this would be good for so-and-so, you know? But the Lord's sitting there going, hey, this is for you first, okay, Phil? Uh, I want you to, to, to apply this in your own life first. And man, it's, it, it always gets me. Whenever the Holy Spirit just does that work and just says, ah, this is actually for you, Phil, I'm always like, oh, man, I'm always floored, you know? Um, so what is your plan to implement this truth in your own life? What's your plan to implement this truth in your own life? This is where something like SMART goals, a simple tool can come in really handy in your life. Have you guys ever heard of SMART goals? Some of you have. If you've been in the pastoral ministry class, I've talked about it before. Um, SMART goals is just a specific, measurable, achievable, realistic goal with a timetable on it. Okay, That's what a SMART goal is. So, for example, um, it, we were talking about lust earlier. If lust is a stronghold in my life, What's my plan? What's my plan to implement the truth that I'm learning about lust from the Word of God? How am I going to overcome it? How am I going to snap that stronghold? Well, let's make a plan. Let's make a smart goal. A specific goal would be to, I'm going to memorize Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through uh, 30. Right there. So, Yeah, through 30. And I'm going to memorize that. I'm going to write that on a card on an index card, and I'm going to stick it in my wallet. And whenever I have some downtime throughout the week, I'm going to take that card out and I'm going to memorize that verse. And, and when a lustful thought enters my mind, because the battleground is the mind, when that lustful thought enters my mind, I am immediately going to quote that scripture and I'm going to think and meditate on that scripture that I've committed to memory. So that's a specific goal. It's measurable. It's achievable, it's realistic, and there's a t my timetable would be, okay, I'm going to do that within the next two weeks. I'm going to commit this verse to memory. And I'm going to tell Justin, my buddy, and I'm going to say, Justin, 
I want you to quiz me in two weeks whether or not I have that verse memorized. I may not share my whole problem with him, but I might just share that. I'm going to memorize these verses. I want you to check on me as my buddy. All right. There's a timetable, and it's laid out, and that's just something that you can do. And you could do that with anything. You could do that with anger. I got a problem with anger. I'm blowing up on people. I'm reactive. So I'm going to uh, uh, try to, uh, I'm going to make a smart goal for that. So my smart goal for my anger problem, well, first, I need to figure out what it is that's triggering my anger. What, where are these outbursts of anger coming from? And so let's find that out. And I'm going to write that down in my journal. And I'm going to have that done by the end of this week. And then at the end, you know, by, by, by next week, I want to find three verses in the Bible that speak to anger. And I'm going to commit those to memory. I'm going to write those on cards. I'm going to commit them to memory. I'm going to tell my friend or I'm going to tell my wife or whoever it is, hey, quiz me on these three verses by, you know, October 4th. I want to have them memorized. And so you've got a smart goal there that you can begin to work on that problem with. And then, you know, you could also put down, and every time that I have an outburst in anger, I'm going to write down, you know, before I go to bed at night, I'm going to write down in my journal why I had an outburst of anger that day. You know, that sort of a thing. And then, and then be, and just pray. And I'm going to pray that God will help me overcome this stronghold in my life, this anger. So that's a smart goal of how to apply God's truth in our own lives, okay? Those are just some examples. And, and you can get real, um, you can get real detailed, and, and you could write that in your journal. I don't share my journals with anybody. Um, I think maybe my wife might read them, but that's about it. Uh, I keep those things private, you know, and locked up usually. Um, because I don't want anybody reading the stuff that I'm writing down. It's between me and the Lord. And, and so it's, it, and, and, and there's very specific things in there that I'm going through, that I'm writing out, and, and I'm coming to uh, terms with in my own life. And so personalizing application is so key. And asking the question, what do I need to change in my life to apply this truth? What do I need to change in my own life? So maybe there might be an obstacle. Maybe you've got an obstacle of fear going on or anxiety. And so you need to seek help for that fear or anxiety in your own life before you can um, apply truth in your own life, you know? Uh, maybe you've got something in the past that you're dealing with. Maybe you're hanging on to some uh, unforgiveness or you've got bitterness. And to apply truth in your life, you've got to let go of that. You know, you've got to go to that person and say, look, <laughs> you know, whoever it is, mom, dad, when you guys raised me this way and, and, and things that you taught me, man, it's messed me up or whatever it is. And I just need to tell you that I've been struggling with this. And, and, and or, you know, you don't always have to do that. that. That might not be the best example, but dealing with that maybe in your own life privately. Just saying, look, I'm, I realize I'm harboring bitterness against my, my mom or dad. And I need to let this go. I need to give it to the Lord. I need to forgive him. Maybe you don't say anything to them, but you just forgive them in your heart and then you move on. But uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. This is a New Living Translation. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the, same, or is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. 
So in a Christian life, it's never the other person who uh, needs to be addressed first, okay? Uh, a lot of times we take the victim mentality in things and we think it's everybody else's fault. The Bible teaches us, actually, the very first place you need to work on and look to is in your own heart, okay? Before we begin to seek to change other people's lives, we need to allow the Word of God just to soak in and, and change our own lives. And that's what application is all about. It's about us taking God's Word and applying it correctly and living it out correctly in our life first. And, and guess what? That's a lifelong thing. That doesn't mean that we never go and teach other people. That doesn't mean that we never take the truth of God and share it with others. That doesn't mean that. It just means that we need to make sure that we're taking time to introspect in our own life and deal with any issues. If, if you're a person that is, you know, enslaved to pornography, you shouldn't be going and sharing to, you know, somebody else that, hey, you know, you really need to overcome that lust problem that you've got, buddy, um, or else God's, you know, coming for you. You know, that, that doesn't make sense. You need to be free from any dominating sin in the area of lust before you can go and lead another brother or sister free from that kind of bondage. Okay, and I know that's the example that we've been hitting on today, but there's plenty of other examples. Anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Okay, healing in your heart from past wrongs done to you. Okay, those sorts of things. You, you can't take other people there unless, unless you're willing to go there yourself first, right? And so that's what Jesus is talking about, is we need to take the time to rightly apply his teachings in our life first. And, and, and then, you know, we're all works in progress. No one's going to get to a point where we're completely perfect, and then we got it all together, and okay, now I can teach everybody. You know, no way. If we waited for that moment, no one would ever say anything to anybody. You know, we have to, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit in all of this as well. We have to rely and depend on God's Spirit to, to kind of lead us in the path that we should go with these things but uh, you get the idea there application is really asking how do I respond how does this apply to me and I want to close it out again just reminding you of all those treasures all those gems all of those nuggets that are in the Bible they're in Christ Colossians 2.3 says in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge just talking about Jesus Christ and guys I just want to encourage you Jesus has so much treasure of wisdom and knowledge as we draw close to Him, as we find uh, 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 these truths in the Word and we apply things in our lives, man, it's going to blow your mind just how good Jesus is, how wise He is, how amazing He is. And so uh, I want to encourage you guys just to continue to stay at it, all right? Don't give up. And uh, I know the Lord's going to bless you guys as you do that. Any questions as we close out the study?